0: in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Hey, how you doing? My name is Nolan. I am from Past Gas by Donut Media, the internet's number one automotive history show. That's right, we talk car history. And this week, we are talking about a lesser-known underappreciated underrated undermentioned tuning house called tommy kyra if you're deep into the jdm world you know these guys but for those of you who don't tommy kyra is responsible for some of the most understated and just cool tuner cars out there they had a really interesting philosophy on how they built their cars originally one of the founders sold amg and other european sports cars through his dealership in japan and decided to take that same ethos with domestic japanese vehicles and they ended up with some really really cool stuff this is a cool story this was a fun one really just goofy time with james and joe so go check that out tommy Kyra on past gas wherever you get your podcasts follow the show today thank you bye
2: Hey guys, Joe here. There's a ton of fun stuff coming up at Donut, so we're re-airing one of our favorite past episodes this week. Happy
1: Halloween! Fewer than 3,000 people around the world are billionaires. For perspective, to earn your first billion dollars, you'd have to earn a million dollars a year for a thousand years in a row. But how many people in the world are car billionaires? That is, how many people own billions of dollars worth of automobiles alone. It's safe to say that the car billionaire list has just a single name on it. Hassanal Bolkiah, the 29th Sultan of Brunei. The Sultan once owned 7,000 cars with a combined value of more than $5 billion. It's such a major collection of cars, it even has its own Wikipedia article. This car collection has made it, baby. The Sultan's accumulation of autos is astonishing, not only in its variety, but in its sheer bulk. 28 Aston Martin Virages, 108 Bentley Continentals, five Bugatti EB110s, 70 Ferrari 456 GTs, the list goes on and on. So, how did the Sultan get so rich in the first place? And why did he choose to spend his fortune on thousands of cars worth billions of dollars? And how did he almost invisibly Influence the automotive industry from a remote island in Southeast Asia. Forget barn fines, today on Past Gas, we're talking palace fines, $5 billion worth. It's the Sultan of Brunei and his collection, or more accurately, his massive horde of ultra-rare cars.
3: Past Gas podcast,
0: it's about cars, it's not about ports.
3: Alright, so I want you guys to take your idea of wealth and just throw it out the window. Like, this guy is so much more rich than you could ever imagine. This guy has like, I don't know, like 11 palaces or something. Or like 100 palaces or something. That's
2: dumb. It's honestly just dumb. He's got a lot of know. money.
1: Hey, welcome to Past Gas. Uh, I am your host, Nolan Sykes. Joined as always uh, from a remote location. This time we got James Pumphrey. Toot toot. And Joe Weber. Uh, Thanks for having me. I am truly fired up to be here.
2: (laughs) This is the first um, podcast where it's partially recorded in our new office.
1: Yep. Our new office is just that room with a red couch that James is sitting in. But what we
3: lack in space, we make up for in gummy worms. Is
1: that what what
2: your mouth is full of right now? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Eating on the podcast, always a very, uh, you know, that's what the listeners want to hear is chewing on some nice kind of hard gummy worms out of a five pound bag. I got a bone to pick with
2: black forest gummy worms. All right. All right. Let's hear it. How are you going to sell a five pound bag of gummy worms? And they're all the same flavor. Yeah, they're not. I thought that
3: too. They're not. I think the problem is they all look very similar. This one's like cherry
1: and pineapple. This one's like orange and lemon. All right. Well, I'm glad we got that sorted today. We're talking about the Sultan of Brunei. A, a figure that comes up every so often we haven't really covered him on uh, the donut media proper channel um, but he comes up in a lot of uh in a lot of our research for uh, up to speeds or wheelhouses or what what have you on like a lot of exotic cars um, his name comes up a lot as someone who owns like three or four of them but today we're really gonna explore this guy and see what his deal is we're gonna find out where Brunei even is currently uh, it is a country but uh, i just want to know like what do you what are your guys' impressions of this mysterious sultan figure
3: um he like you said he always comes up like when you're talking about like a yellow ferrari f50 even though all the ferrari f50s were supposedly uh red it's like but there's one yellow one yeah owned by the
1: sultan of brunei or it's like i think there's a green uh, one he has like an ever or like a forest green f40 yeah. oh, or yeah. f50 Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Uh do you think he has any like Volkswagen Rabbits? Like does <laughs> is it all su- super crazy like luxurious cars or are there like a couple like like maybe he's like a huge fan of like the 1981 Civic and he has just like a perfect uh 1981 Civic tucked away in a corner or something.
2: <laughs> I bet he has a gold plated Honda Civic with a Zonda engine in it. He's got like a like
1: really like cherry Del Sol. He's got one of those Accord Aero decks like a Mm -hmm. two-door is a Subaru SVX. Yeah. He's got, (laughs) (laughs) he's got an Omni GLH. That would actually be pretty cool, but also like a plain Omni just for comparison's sake. He's got a six wheel Tercel. Well, that would be like the redneck version of this guy would have all these like really like, I I mean, if I had a billion dollars, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be, I've got like a, a Chrysler, a Chrysler conquest in really nice, not like perfect condition, but really nice. That's a good driver. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The Sultan of
2: Birmingham. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Before we started researching it, I just thought of him as like this like mysterious, like obviously royal guy who had a pension for crazy cars and like basically owns at least one or more of all the crazy cars. Yes. But upon further research, there's so much more to the
1: story. There's a crazy amount. All right. So without further ado, uh, let's just get into it. Don't be embarrassed if you haven't heard of Brunei, because you're not alone. It's a tiny country of 2,226 square miles. It's smaller than the state of Delaware. Brunei is located on the Isle of Borneo in the South China Sea. Brunei only makes up 1% of the island's landmass, the rest being controlled by Indonesia and Malaysia, Brunei's much larger neighbors. The history of Brunei, officially known as the Nation of Brunei, the Abode of Peace, dates back over a thousand years when dissident Buddhist Indians traveled to the island and started a settlement. Over the ensuing centuries, Borneo was defined by its size, a sparsely populated island in a big pond, frequently at the mercy of its more powerful neighbors. Through the centuries, the fortunes of Borneo rose and fell like the ocean tides, but mostly fell. The 1500s brought increased incursions from afar with a Spanish invasion followed by an attack from the British in the 1800s. These outside forces led to the erosion of the country's borders, and by 1890, it was down to just a tiny sliver of the island's north coast. Even during World War II, Brunei couldn't catch a break, with the Japanese invading the country just eight days after attacking Pearl Harbor. After the war... Brunei went into recovery mode, with its government now partially controlled by the British Empire. The British weren't happy with the Sultan of the time, and looking for a leader who was more familiar with the West, pushed for him to be replaced by his son, the subject of our story, the Sultan, the car guy, his name was Hassanal Bokia, who took over in 1967. Compared to his dad, Hassanal was a worldly man. He attended a prestigious military academy in England, where he'd been knighted by Queen Elizabeth herself.
3: That's got to be like,
1: that's like, yeah, he got knighted. You know, like, quote, unquote. I don't think they quote, unquote, knight (laughs) people. No, it's like a favor. Dude, you got to stop eating gummy worms. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going (laughs) to take knighting advice from a guy with a mouthful of gummy worms. Anyway, uh, so uh, Hassanal... Uh, Bokia rode to his coronation on a royal carriage powered not by a motor but by 50 elite soldiers of the Royal oh Brunei Regiment. God. Hassanal's full name as Sultan was Kebawaduli Yang Mahamulia Paduka Seri Baginda, Sultan Haji Hassanal Bokia, Mu'itsuddin Wadala Ibni Al Mahurum, Sultan Haji Omar Ali Safudian Sa'adul Kari Wadian Sultan Danyang D. Pertuan Nagara Brunei. Darussalam, but we'll just call him the Sultan. Did you rehearse that? Damn, Nolan, you killed that. I practiced that like ten times. Oh, awesome. <laughs> that tell, was amazing. That was, <laughs> that was really good. Yeah. I can't believe that. Thank Damn. you, man. Yeah, uh, long. I love long names. I'm into it. If you were What's like your...
3: undercover, like in Brunei, <laughs> I would be like, this guy, he's he's cool.
2: Yeah, checks out. Checks out. He can do that long yeah, you can name. come in. <laughs> Nolan, uh, if you were to pick, if you were like the sultan of Atascadero, what would your oh full name be? Oh man, it'd be uh
1: <laughs> Sultan Sultan in and out Casa de Mexico, Round Table Pizza, <laughs> Century uh Century Cinemas, Ensenada <laughs> Avenue, Capistrano Greyhound, Atascadero, Nolan uh John Sykes. <laughs> Uh, that's amazing
3: (laughs) so how did the sultan get so rich the major shift came in 1984 when Great Britain ceded control over Brunei and the island nation gained independence for the first time in centuries the sultan of Brunei had full control over his country and by extension his wealth by Mm. 1987 just three years later Hassanal was the richest man in the world with a fortune valued at over 40 billion dollars that's in 1987
1: but okay he had control over his country and by extension, it's wealth. So like, that's not, this is my problem with him already. He's the <laughs> yeah. richest man in the world because he has his country's money. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That's like a monarchy. That's okay. what a
1: monarchy is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's different.
3: He, he's like <laughs> a king. Yeah. This is my money because it's my country. So maybe you have a problem with monarchy. Nolan, maybe with I do. Which, then we got a problem, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into kings. <laughs> the money literally flowed from the ground in the form of oil and natural gas. Ooh, people love that stuff. Mm-hmm. People all <laughs> over the world love that stuff. Both of those. Brunei was a nation of fewer than a half a million citizens. Delaware has twice the population. Why are we obsessed with Delaware in this <laughs> script?
1: Hey, shout out to Delaware. If you're listening Shouts. in Delaware, let me know. Delaware, freaking represent, dude.
3: Yet, despite its tiny population, it exported billions of dollars of oil and natural gas a year, representing pretty much the entire economy of the country. In fact, Brunei has almost no other industry and has to import almost all of their other resources. Dang. For instance, to supply its beef, the country controls a 2,262 square mile cattle farm in Australia. That cattle farm is bigger than Brunei itself.
1: That's crazy.
3: Hasanal and his family didn't hesitate to trade Brunei's natural resources for vast personal wealth. He somehow wasn't the most hedonistic of his family, however. That dubious honor would go to Jeffrey Bolkia, Hasanal's younger brother, and the clear Fredo of the Bulkia clan. Hasanal never passed up an opportunity to enable his brother's spending. As a Vanity Fair article on the two put it, the sultan's biggest extravagance turned out to be his love for his younger brother.
1: Aw, isn't that sweet?
3: Yeah, nicknamed the Playboy Prince, ooh. who sounds like a rapper. Jeffrey had a taste for excess in every aspect of life. He's alleged to have kept a harem of as many as 40 women whose company he paid to keep. He owned luxury hotels in Europe, New York, and Los Angeles. He also bought his own private 747, a gold-plated hot tub, scads of luxury art, including a $70 million Renoir, ooh, and a yacht,
2: mm-hmm.
3: which he named
2: Tits. God. The yacht came
3: with two smaller boat runabouts, which were named Nipple One and Nipple Two. Okay. For the Sultan's 50th birthday, he paid for a Michael Jackson concert and built a $17 million stadium just
1: to host an event. That, okay, that oil money.
3: So there's like a number of like tell all interviews um, about uh, Jeffrey, Mm -hmm. uh, the Sultan's younger brother. Uh, And in all of them is this woman, this one woman. Uh, who was part of his harem. Uh, she went over there. She lived with him for a year. And now she's married to the bass player from Weezer. <laughs> but her name is like Jillian Lauren. And she's like literally in every interview.
1: She's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like just blowing up these dudes' spots. So the spending was insane, very clearly. But all the money spent on art, jets, yachts, and events was dwarfed by what Hassanal and Jeffrey spent on a single category of goods, and that was automobiles. Uh, Jeffrey was apparently his older brother's personal shopper buying thousands of cars on the family's behalf. Their heyday was the 80s and 90s, and the collection of cars reflects that. To house the cars, you need a garage. I would love a garage. And in 1984, construction was completed on the Istana Nurul Iman, which translates to the Light of Faith Palace. It is the world's largest private residence with a floor area of 2.15 million square feet. Uh, for reference, the White House is a paltry 54,900 square feet, about 40 times smaller. The palace's garage was similarly supersized with space for 800 cars. Man, Jay Leno's got to be like salivating. During the 90s, Hassanal and his family accounted for nearly half of all rolls-royce sales worldwide these include a 14 million dollar gold Ro- rolls-royce silver spur which is used for royal weddings of which there have been several uh, hasenal has three wives and jeffrey has five although he has divorced two of them the wedding car even has some ornate gold hubcaps rolls-royce's iconic hood ornament is appropriately known as the spirit of ecstasy and safe to say that the british company was a static that Hassan Albuquerque was a fan of their cars. I think it's kind of
3: funny that you spend $14 million on a car and then you decide to go with hubcaps.
1: <laughs> that is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there really isn't... I don't think there's any car better suited for a guy like this than a Rolls-Royce. Uh, I haven't been in a proper Rolls-Royce sedan, like a like a, a Wraith or whatever, but uh, we, we did that Cullinan episode of Bumper to Bumper sometime last Mm -hmm. year and that was extremely nice
2: wait did you guys click on this car that's ridiculous
1: uh let's take a look i don't oh my god (laughs) it's so gaudy okay it's got it's uh it's not just a four it's a six-door car it's got three doors on each side whoa Whoa. that thing rules yeah it's definitely a bosu zoku car yeah that's definitely a wedding car Perhaps the car that best encapsulates the Sultan's expensive tastes is the McLaren F1. To call the F1 a dream car is an understatement, but if it was a dream, it was a reoccurring one for the Sultan. Of the 106 McLarens that were ever built, Hassanal owned 10 of them. When his unmodified uh, serial number 044 F1 was auctioned in 2017, it sold for over $15 million, the highest price ever recorded for car built after 1969. Uh, what car has the record? Do you guys know?
2: Oh, it's the uh, Integra Type R. No, it's the Ferrari. It's the Ferrari
1: 1969 yeah. no. Ferrari. No, and I think it's sold for 69 million as well. That one.
3: If you yeah, if you look at the top ten most expensive cars ever sold, like six of them are Ferraris, three of them are Aston Martins, and one of them is a uh, 2000 <laughs> Integra Type R.
1: More remarkable still are the F1s that Hassanal has hung on to. These include the McLaren F1 LM, hell yeah, that raced the 1995 24 Hours of Le Mans. The F1 LM was a race-ready version of the car that was even more stripped down than the already bare-bones original to achieve a total weight of just 2,341 pounds. It was capable of a top seat of 225 miles per hour and produced 671 horsepower without the uh, rule-mandated restrictor plate. Acceleration was unworldly for the time, with a 0-60 to of 3.9 seconds and a 0-100 to of 6.7. In fact, the F1 LM once held the 0-100 to to 0 record with a time of 11.5 seconds. Whoa. The LMs were painted papaya orange in honor of Bruce McLaren, who raced in this iconic shade. Uh, if you want to know more about that, check out our Bruce McLaren series. It was also the perfect color. For Brunei, the car won the 24 Hours of Le Mans and Hassanal, but three of the six that were made. I love the LM. Um, the Sultan seemed to make a habit of buying luxury cars in bulk, treating brands like Ferrari and Rolls-Royce like his own personal car, Costco. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Okay, so like you own all these cars, really fast race cars. Brunei is not that big. There's probably not a lot of roads that you can drive super quick on. Right? Well I
2: think I think you'll see uh, a little bit later. Oh. That
1: not of a lot, not a lot of these cars have been driven. Okay. All right. Thanks Joe. Uh, the cars were these cars were liberally distributed among Hasna's fam- family members and if nobody needed them they went into storage. A Rolls-Royce was kept running in front of his palace at all times. The dozens of Bentleys and Rolls-Royce limos meant that even the most distant cousin of the royal family had access These amazing automobiles. The Sultan's mass market purchases are literally too numerous to mention. Over 7,000 cars. These include 400 Bentleys, over 200 BMWs, nearly 200 Ferraris, and over 600 Rolls Royces. You don't need that many. Why do you need? Yeah. What is going on? This is just hoarding. It is. There comes a point. James, I think we've talked about this multiple times, but you Mm -hmm. think that five cars is like the max you should have? I've allowed myself five cars. Anything more than that is too much.
2: You're at two right now? I
3: got three. Three.
1: I think three is a pretty good... Three is Especially good. for All- LA where it's really hard to park yeah. or store them. I think three is like a really good number. I only have two at the moment. I'm at two. I was at three last week, but I got rid of
2: my E46.
3: All three of my cars are very different. I would like a truck. Yeah. And I would open myself up to some sort of sleeper van.
2: Like a yeah. a fast van or a van that you sleep in? <laughs> a van that you sleep in. Okay. That's
3: also fast? <laughs> yes, that is very fast.
2: Okay. Even more
3: ludicrous than the 24 packs of European sports cars were the cars that were created just for the Sultan. If everything has a price, there's also a number floating out there for things that don't even exist. A great example is the Ferrari F90 Testarossa. Mm. If you haven't heard of the F90 Testarossa, it's because there were only six ever made. They were produced in 1988, but Ferrari didn't actually acknowledge their existence until 17 years later in 2005. Just total Ferrari move. When they put a brief budget line in their annual report for the production of six totally bespoke supercars, all six of which were made specifically
1: for the Sultan of Brunei. I think I know why they did not acknowledge their existence. Why? Because they're butt ugly. Haha, <laughs> nice. Got em. From certain angles, they look pretty good, but... I'm not uh, a fan. They're not great looking. They, it looks like an Isuzu concept. Yeah. Yeah, it does.
3: As of 2020, all of the cars are presumed to still be in Brunei, meaning an entire model of Ferrari is still owned by one family. The car's design was overseen by Enrico Fiumia of Pininfarina, the designers of the original 1984 Testarossa, among countless other legendary designs. The F90 referred to Ferrari's envisionment of uh, the car as a representative of the Ferrari of the 90s. The most notable aspect of the design is an oval-shaped line that sweeps from the front tire all the way around the car's rear, transforming into a wing that closely hugs the car's body. That sounds nice. (laughs) It feels much more concept than production car, which makes sense given that Ferrari only had one customer to please. And you have to imagine that Hassanal had creative veto over any decisions Ferrari made. Fumia apparently wanted to build front engine and sedan versions of the car, but the F90 project, as it was called, never expanded beyond the initial six cars built for the Sultan. Well, Haas was seemingly pleased with the F90s because the cars kicked off over a decade of ordering custom, bespoke models with a variety of car makers. Hmm. These included the Bentley Dominator, <laughs> of which six were made at the jaw-dropping cost of nearly $5 million apiece. The Dominators were actually heavy-modified Range Rovers were the first SUVs ever to sport the Bentley badge. These like things the look F- sick. With well, a name like Dominator, what do you expect?
1: They, I mean, it, it's a very GTA name for an SUV, but yeah. it also kind of look, they're like pro to, they're Bentleys, but they look like, uh, like 90s Cullinans, you know?
3: Yeah. The, the design language is super similar. Like the F96 were made, all of which were built for Hassanal and Jeffrey. Not much is actually known about the Dominators, including the engine and other specs? Most images of the cars come when they're being transported in car-carrying planes traveling between Brunei and Europe. These images show the cars in a variety of colors, including one eye-popping yellow with gold grill and red interior. <laughs> Ugh. Buzz, your girlfriend. <laughs> Woof! <laughs> Although the cars were delivered to the Sultan in 1995, the rest of the world didn't learn of their existence until 1998, when Auto Car Magazine put out a story on them. Apparently, while these car companies were eager to take the sultan's millions, they were fine not to publicize it to the outside world. After all, while these brands were happy to associate themselves with the wealthy, the wealth of an unelected monarch with questionable taste was not an association they necessarily wanted to advertise. By the mid-90s, the royal family's collection of cars was famous around the world. The cars had expanded beyond the capacity of the palace's 800-car garage. The rare visitor to the secret stores described concrete warehouses hemmed in by razor wire and guarded by an army of private Nepalese mercenaries known as the Gurkhas. When Ferrari dealer Michael Sheehan, Michael Sheehan <laughs> visited, he found, according to an article... Is it, uh, this can't
1: be the guy from Boardwalk Empire.
2: No, that's Michael Sheen, isn't it? No, it's Sheehan.
1: No, you're thinking of um, Martin... No, I'm not thinking Sheen. of Martin Sheen. I'm thinking of Michael Sheehan.
2: I don't think that's who you think it is. Well,
3: it's not the guy I thought it was, but Michael Sheehan is an actor who starred in Gremlins.
2: Are you thinking of Michael Shannon? Yeah, Michael Shannon. Oh, oh he's awesome.
1: love that Michael yeah, Shannon. We really yeah. love Michael Shannon. Great actor. Great yeah. face. you like, understand like Michael Shannon in this Somehow,
2: house. So he plays always plays villains, but he's really likable.
3: Yes, but he's not the Ferrari dealer
2: we're talking about. No, <laughs> no,
3: when, no. F- when Ferrari dealer Michael Sheehan, not uh. to be confused with actor Michael Shannon, visited, <laughs> he found, according to an article in The Verge, one floor dedicated solely to black Mercedes SL500s, another floor to red Ferrari Testarossas, and yet another to bright yellow Bentleys and Lamborghini machines. By this time, there was another member of the family taking an interest in the car world, the Sultan's nephew, the 20-year-old Prince Abdul Hakim. Abdul was a Southeast Asian version of Richie Rich. When he took an interest in football as a teenager, the family flew Joe Montana and Herschel Walker to Brunei to coach him. <laughs> Apparently, during the scrimmage, the rule was nobody could tackle the prince, and he scored
1: a touchdown every time he got the ball. What's wow. the, Okay, what's the point of coaching a kid, trying to make him better at a sport, if you're not going to... Uh, uh, enforce the rules. You don't get it, Nolan. I guess I don't. Why do you train hmm?
3: to score touchdowns? Yeah? So if you can score touchdowns by just making the rules, you always score a touchdown. Fair enough. You can do other sh- Also, for his 18th birthday, he received the gift every team dreams of, a billion dollars <laughs> cash. Jesus. Fudge. That's awesome. That's so sick. What's that even look like? Abdul quickly put the cash to work, converting it to Italian lira and paying a visit to Carazzeria Pininfarina, the makers of his uncle's custom Testarossas. The Italian in charge of delivering on Abdul's commission was Paolo Guerrilla, the manager of Pininfarina's prototype department. Gorilla had made his name with the Ferrari Mythos, a concept car which was also based on the Testarossa. The Mythos was three hmm. inches lower and five inches wider than the original Testarossa. I can't imagine... Pretty sweet looking. It's as if you took the sporty shape of the Testarossa and pounded it flat until it resembled a Giorgetto Giugiaro wedge car. The mythos caught the prince's eye, and despite Ferrari stating that the car was not for sale, not one, but two of the mythoses ended up in Brunei.
1: This looks like a Lamborghini machine. It looks really great. I'm a big fan of this one. I love this one. Especially that rear end. It looks awesome. Very futuristic.
3: Rules. The, the wheels kind of look mini truckish though.
1: Yeah, the wheels I would definitely change out. They look like little blades that you'd have in like a little silver bullet blender. Do they look like Beyblades. They do. <laughs> Five-spoke Beyblades.
3: We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Just like when Prince Abdul played football and nobody was allowed to tackle him, there was a special rule for his Pininfarina commission dubbed the Ferrari FX. The Prince wanted a semi-automatic transmission, uh, which at that point was like a Steptronic. Until that point, Ferrari hadn't made a semi-automatic car outside of Formula One. The stock Testarossa had a five-speed manual transmission, so, uh, Pin and Farina enlisted the help, not of Ferrari, but of the Williams BMW Formula One team to help build the seven-speed sequential transmission. That's a really strange move. I wonder if Ferrari was like, nah, yeah. it's not ready for the road. That's crazy. Well, the body is pure 90s, as we said, with deep-set headlights and a hood scoop, like a pair of Oakley sunglasses, sprouted wheels, and uh, grew a 12, flat 12 engine, a flat 12. That's what does that sound like? Uh, uh, that uh, sounds uh, like uh, pure death. That's crazy. A flat 12. Awesome. Yeah. Um, carbon fiber was employed throughout the car's body, uh, which is very common, obviously, today, but was a innovative feature for the time and perhaps the coolest touch with a clear plexiglass cover over the engine, which featured 12 portholes, one for every cylinder, James. The interior... In addition to the paddle shifters, featured 90s extras fit for a sultan. It had a Sony tape player, hell yeah, as well as a silver nameplate that read FX. Unique Pininfarina design for the royal family of Brunei, just in case anyone forgot who this car was built for. The creation of the car was so mysterious, Joe, that there's still no consensus of over how many of these things were made. Somewhere between seven and nine, and Prince Abdul received six of them. Very Why cool. Why did you say my name? I don't know. Just making sure you're paying attention.
2: <laughs> I wasn't, so thank you.
1: <laughs> this thing's great. I think this thing is great looking. Yeah, I, yeah. I really like it. It's cool. I really,
2: yeah. I'm a big fan.
1: Big fan. At this point, the Sultan's family, in the words of auto industry expert Ed Kim, quote, uh, were really R&D for many high-end automakers they were building custom bespoke cars that not only had unique bodies and interiors, but sometimes exotic technologies, and the money was limitless. With its semi-auto transmission and carbon fiber, the FX showed how the Sultan was indirectly pushing the car industry forward. Similar to the way the Romans gave us aqueducts and how Egypt built the pyramids and America put people on the moon, the Sultan of Brunei is shadowy spending of top secret Supercars did allow auto designers to take risks they would never have been able to previously afford. I think that's a solid point. Given that these cars have dubious practical benefit, maybe a more apt comparison would be to the incredibly wealthy royalty of Europe that commissioned the works by artists like Michelangelo. And to some, the FX is like Michelangelo's creation of Adam. To some, you know? Not to me, but to some. <laughs> It wasn't just Ferrari that benefited from the Sultan's extensive patronage program. Hassanal spread the money around too. BMW built him the Nazca M12 in 1991. Can't wait to see what that looks like. It was designed by Giorgetto Giugiaro's son, Fabrizio Giugiaro, who was only 26 at the time. Again, intended as a prototype, it was acquired by the Sultan after making a splash at the 1991 Geneva Motor Show. Not now. as cool
2: as I thought yeah. it was going to look like.
1: Oh, like, no, I like that. Really? That's looks sick. Good. Hell yeah. It looks yeah, just I'm like very
3: this. like 90s concept car. Yeah. yeah.
2: I I think that the snoot is too small <laughs> and the the trunk, the bump, the junk in the trunk
1: is too the two, junk. There is the a lot of junk is in, the trunk. Small in the trunk.
3: And the boot is too big.
1: Yeah, the Yeah, okay, just to help the yeah. viewers at home picture this. Let's say like McLaren F1 refresh yep. at the front with the BMW kidneys, but they're very small as Joe was saying, it's got a little uh, snoot, small snoot. But then from the cabin backwards, if you can imagine mm-hmm. a mid-engined Corvette C5, C5 Corvette, uh-huh. um I think that's definitely the body shape.
3: I think it looks I think it looks like a bullfrog with a pig
2: nose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I bet there's a really ugly frog that looks exactly like this car.
3: Yeah, like, you know those pictures of frogs just, like,
2: yeah, like laying flat
3: and, like, really wide and, Uh like, wet? Like, imagine that, but with a pig's nose on the front.
1: I think very C5 Corvette from the windshield back if the C5 was men-engined. Or a bullfrog, as James said. But I like it. I think this is sick. It was a prototype, uh... Many saw the BMW Nazca M12 as a worthy successor to the M1. That's according to BMW Group-Classic.com. It's got a 12-cylinder engine from the 750i and 850i production cars.
2: Only 300 horsepower out of the 12-cylinder.
1: Another uh, one-off car was the 1997 Aston Martin V8 Vantage Special Series 1. Long name, great results. Uh, An updated version of Aston Martin's 60s-era DB4 Zagato which was a uh, also a one-off, I believe. And when I say updated, I mean that the car was rebuilt almost line for line to mimic the Zagato with curves toned down slightly to give the car a more modern feel. Three of the cars were built, all purchased by the Sultan. Apparently, he liked them so much because the next year, he had three more built as the Special Series 2 with more aggressive body lines. The Series 2 looks better. Yeah. Okay. He toned down the retroness of it.
2: This is like a, like a Pierce Brosnan, James Bond. Uh-huh,
1: car. uh-huh. Series 2 looks like the hero car in like a uh, late 80s dystopian future action movie.
2: I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> really? You don't think... So? You- no, I feel like the, the Beamer, that Nazca Beamer was is oh, yeah. definitely That's the hero car in it.
1: What's weird to think about is that given the secrecy of the Sultan, as well as the reluctance of car companies to publicize their dealings with him, that there are certainly unique cars in this collection that literally nobody has ever heard of that includes cars like the 1996 bentley buccaneer of which six were made all for the sultans
3: this one i'm on the fence about it looks I like a it, continental gt well but then like look at all the angles it looks like oh, a like yeah. a car a cartoon wolf would drive like kind of in a <laughs> <laughs> kind of in a good way yeah Ooh. it's very this
1: <laughs> yeah. is very who framed roger rabbit right yeah. here i think it is but ugly
3: I could, like, I'm
2: not going to argue <laughs> with that.
1: I think you're spot on with your assessment, though. Very cartoon wolf. Yeah. Um, yeah, the
2: trunk definitely ruins the whole thing. Yeah,
1: for sure. The
3: boot. Because, uh, like, right now, it, it, it just looks like a Continental GT with a funny boot. Yeah. yeah. I think you're dead on, James. Sultan of Brunei, hit me up. HMU. So, what's the current status of the collection, and why has the story to this point kept us in the era of the 80s and 90s? The answer lies in the 1997 Southeast Asian financial crisis, which started in nearby Thailand and spread throughout the area, sending government debt skyrocketing and demand for oil plummeting. Selling oil was what allowed the Sultan to buy cars, and oil just wasn't selling like it used to. To make matters worse, Prince Jeffrey was still spending like it was 1996, allegedly keeping 40 ladies on call at a hotel in London and purchasing the now-closed Playboy Club four times its market value for what we have to assume were sentimental reasons. He also spent 7 million dollars on bejeweled wristwatches that depicted on the hour a couple copulating oh as well as 1.3 million dollars on similarly styled erotic fountain. Oh my god.
2: Come <laughs> on. Oh he
3: also uh would he had like a bunch of statues of him and his wife having sex in different <laughs> positions all over the house and uh just like yeah they're going through like hard times right now but uh, when he uh when they announced that they were gonna do Sharia law in Brunei, uh he owns the Sultan owns the Beverly Hills Hotel, and so like all these people were like boycotting the Beverly Hills Hotel. Yeah, but like he was basically like like I don't give a f-. <laughs> like <laughs> I own that hotel so I can like stay there. Oh my if god! If I'm in LA, meanwhile Hassan Al was becoming increasingly open to Islamic fundamentalism as a way for him to maintain power over Brunei. If it's not already clear, Jeffrey was violating some of the main rules of Islam with his behavior and it was a bad look for the Sultan. The formerly loving relationship between him and his playboy brother began to sour and he ordered armed troops to raid Jeffrey's palace and demand that he return assets which according to Vanity Fair included over 600 properties, 2,000 cars, 100 paintings, 5 boats, I assume tits is in there, and 9 aircraft. Two houses and four vehicles. What's the difference between me and you? About 600 properties, 2,000 cars, 100 paintings, five boats, and nine aircraft. <laughs> 600 properties. That's too many. <laughs> Over the years, Jeffrey was dragged to court, first in New York and later back home in Brunei, where he was accused of embezzling $14.8 billion. Jeez. He was also the subject of a lawsuit by Shannon Marketek, better known as Miss USA 1992, who claimed that after she was hired for promotional work by Jeffrey, she was held as a member of his harem in Brunei and not allowed to leave the country. The lawsuit was eventually dismissed. I wonder why. With an American judge ruling that Jeffrey had diplomatic immunity.
1: Come on, man. Uh, they paid it off.
3: Uh, by allowing Jeffrey to be exposed to continuing lawsuits and even initiating his own legal claims against his brother, Hassanal was sending a clear message. The boom years of Brunei were over and the purse springs were being severed. Brunei to 2000s were going to be less wedding scene in Godfather Part 1 and more Frodo swimming with the fishes in Godfather <laughs> <Frodo>. Part 2.
2: <laughs> Frodo Baggins had the best part in Godfather Part 2. <laughs> yeah, sorry.
3: For Brunei, the <laughs> 2000s were going to be less wedding scene in The Godfather Part 1 and more Frodo swimming with the fishes in Godfather Part 2. Luckily for Frodo or Jeffrey, he was eventually forgiven and brought back into the fold. And in the past decade, he's been spotted once again mingling with the rest of the royal family. Well, I'm glad it
2: worked out for him, you know? Oh, good. They good. should do a reality show with these.
3: Oh, exes. dude, I would love that. Keeping up with the... Hassanals? Hanging
2: with the Hasanals.
1: Hanging out with the Hasanals. Uh, <laughs> I think you mean hanging out with the Kabwala Duli Yang Mahamulia Paduka Seri Baginda Sultan Haji Hasan Al Bukia Muizaddin. Never mind. <laughs> <Keep> <laughs> <gone>. Too long. <laughs> Hey, what, uh, welcome back to Keeping Up with the Kabawa Duli Yang, Mahamuliak, Paduka Baginda Sultan Haji, Hassan Abokia, Muadzidin, Wadabula, Ibni Al Muhammad, Sultan Haji, Omar Ali, Safuddi, and Sa'al Dul, Kari Wadi, and Sultan Dan Yang, Deeper Twan, Nagara Bunai, Darussalam. This week, Jeffrey's back. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Damn, we got bars, Nolan. <laughs>
1: We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. <laughs> Alright, so what about the fate of the Sultan's cars, then? They may not be literally swimming with the fishes, but there's definitely some weird smells involved, guys. <laughs> a- according to a blog post by California-based Ferrari broker, Michael Sheehan, our guy... Not to be confused with actor Michael Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, no, definitely not to be confused. In 2002... Sheehan was offered an appealing deal from a mysterious source in Brunei. Who could it be? 13 unique (laughs) Ferraris and McLaren F1s were being offered as a lot at bargain basement prices, or at least the basement of a very expensive luxury goods store. Sheehan was obviously intrigued and flew out to Brunei to check out the prospective goods. Uh, What he saw boggled his mind. His mind was literally scrambled. In his words, quote... First, we went through f-ing like eight two story buildings with
3: each level holding about 120 guys. Each level had a semblance of a theme, uh, with the first building filled with Porsches from 959s at the cars from the late 1990s. Another floor held mainly black on black 1996 to 1997 Mercedes Benz 500 sedans. Nice. Another building had coach built Rolls Royces, Bentleys, and Aston Martin's. <laughs> Another building held mainly 1990s model Ferraris, including a few dozen 456s and 550s.
1: Wow. The tour went on and on. A never-ending museum, or crypt, depending on how you look at it, of decades of luxury car history. Sheehan noted that in several of the buildings, the air conditioning wasn't running, turning the glassed-in showrooms into greenhouses. The cars were, in his words, quote, Literally cooking away disintegrating in the humidity and heat of brunei's tropical climate even the cars that had been kept away from sunlight and humidity were in bad shape typically you'd be excited to find a car with zero miles on the odometer but if it hasn't been started or maintained in years zero miles may be all the car is capable of Mm. that's true that's true you gotta heat you gotta heat up them gaskets Further complicating any prospective deal for Sheehan was a nearly universal lack of paperwork for all these vehicles, including export documents or even titles. Sheehan was pessimistic on the fate of the collection, predicting that, quote, The bulk of the collection is still there and will die there, rotting into oblivion. Dang. Sheehan returned to California, grateful for the California accent. Yeah, that that classic California accent.
2: Hey, are you going to take the 110 to the 405 or what? Yeah, I gotta take
3: the freaking 115 to get myself some authentic California pizza. <laughs> I'm gonna go get a bagel. <laughs> Nobody has bagels like they do in California. Uh, Give me some avocado. Give me some
2: fucking avocado, toast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a green juice. Sheehan returned to California, grateful for the one of a kind, surreal experience of uh, his visit to Brunei, but he left empty handed. As for Hassan al his name has been in the news a lot lately for unhappier reasons. In 2014, he implemented a Sharia law penal code that included severe penalties for homosexuality. Not cool. He received widespread condemnation, but Sharia law remains enforced in Brunei. So, what have we learned? Uh, let's just say that cars are for driving, not collecting. I think that's uh, pretty safe to say. Uh, there are amazing machines that can both inspire and connect us in so many ways. Uh, that's kind of the mission statement of Donut. But they don't do any of that when they're sitting in a tropical warehouse, slowly disintegrating. It's like a rich kid with no friends who bribes people over to his house with a closet full of Sega Genesis games and fruit roll-ups. Nobody really likes that kid. Other potential lessons include that younger brothers need to be closely supervised. Uh, Democracy is a good thing. Ferrari is cool Love one another and don't blow your cash on erotic fountain pens. Unless that's your thing, we won't judge. Sh- sure. I mean a million dollars on pens has uh, that that's 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 excessive. That's a lot. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think um knowing this story now, knowing that these cars are just like withering away and the Sultan himself is like he's getting kinda old. Um yeah. I I used to have such a like a a mysterious wonder about this guy and his cars but now it just sounds like it's more of a burden than anything else.
3: It's like weird weird mental illness hoarding stuff. It kind of reminds me of like uh what are the what's that documentary about the mom and the daughter?
2: Oh, like, Gray Gray Manor or something like that?
3: Yeah, like Gray Gardens yeah. or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what it kind of reminds me of just like these two guys who are in charge but don't really like like they just were on top of oil you know what i mean it's not like they were like they had great like international
1: policy or anything they just had like
3: the product
1: yeah that everyone Um, needs i mean we didn't really get into it at all just because i think it's kind of obvious but like it just like uh, you know how much how much how much good could have been done for his people had he like not just Mm -hmm. spent all this money on cars you know
3: yeah yeah,
1: that, on cars and palaces and boats. Yeah, and Yeah, that kind of finger wagging for me kind of goes without saying. But like it, it at the it, at the end of the day, it's just like all that was for nothing because these cars are just disintegrating. And like people, their collectors probably are going to buy them, especially like the stuff like the McLaren F1 and all that. But it's just like you don't need 500 Mercedes sedans. No,
2: you don't need a Rolls Royce to be running at all times in front of your palace. Just turn it on when you need it. <laughs> Hey, where are you going yeah.
1: yeah, like it does it does it take that long to start up your car that it has to be running like come on, it's just yeah, excess, yeah. obviously, uh, but I don't know, it's just a weird, weird story, weird little island nation. uh I would like to visit Malaysia though. we would like to visit Malaysia, so
3: uh if you have any reason for Nolan to go, <laughs> hit us up. um, this one
2: was fun, yeah. I had a lot of fun talking about this. I'm I'm still just bummed that all these cars are just rotting. That sucks. Yeah, it is. It, yeah.
3: It's a
1: hu- it's a bummer
2: for sure.
3: Yeah, I'm just glad there's no Volkswagen GTI's
2: over there. <laughs> <laughs> there is uh like a Mercedes SL wagon that has a Zonda engine that wasn't in the script, but it's really oh, cool.
1: Oh, I, yeah, I think I read about that. James, with your growing uh, Volkswagen collection, you're going to be the sultan of... Oh.
2: Don't, <laughs> don't tell people where yeah, I live. Don't give his location away, dude. Bridget, Bridget please can bleep, bleep, that. bleep that
3: out. And on that note, uh, Nolan, I'm going to kill you, buddy. All All right. Right. Follow Donut Media. Uh, <laughs> at Donut Media, across social. Follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. Follow Nolan at Nolan J. Sykes. Follow Mm -hmm. me at James Pumphrey. I'm almost to 420,000 followers on Instagram. Then I'm going to go private. Get (laughs) in while you can. Uh, All right. Uh, I love you guys.
1: Yeah. Uh, Be kind.
2: And also keep it juice. Go buy our merch. donamedia.com. See you
1: next time.